can ask also. So no, I don't think you need a bunch of fancy closing techniques. I don't think you need to like hammer down every objection and cut them all out and like use, use Jedi mind tricks with the customer. I think you can one just upfront ask, Mark, are you going to sign the contract? Or you can use the, hey, typically language. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day, they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter came to help them find the way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserved. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth. Until tomorrow, no code becomes the next big skill that changes the future of humanity. That's what I'm all about. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from an ethical hacker to a European Ivy League business graduate to a hypnotherapist to a growth marketer, I've lost everything twice. And now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. The No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter are for the makers and founders who have the proactivity, perspective, and persistence to go on this journey with me and get from experts the answers about money, marketing, and mindsets so that makers become earners, earners become founders, and founders get freedom and create wealth. My guest today is Nick Sigaleski. Nick is the top enterprise account executive at SurePoint a recognized tier one provider of financial and practice management software to law firms and the fastest growing legal tech firm in the U.S. Nick is also the host of the 30 Minute to President's Club podcast, a no-nonsense sales podcast that showcases actionable selling advice to its audience. Nick is a diligent and disciplined student of sales who is always looking to provide value to his clients, and Nick is a former high school wrestler and a real estate investor. How are you, Nick, today? I am living the dream. Man, you you basically hit it all there in the intro. I feel like that could be the whole show. You talked me up, and now I got to live up to that, huh? I will help you live up to that because I know you can. So <laughs> to begin by asking you an important question, when was the moment that you realize that skills is, uh, that sales is something important, an important skill, the sales skills, and decided to master it and dedicate yourself to this pursuit. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the 90-second origin story on this. I think this goes back to a philosophy that I have, which is ideas are overrated and execution is underrated. I started a company when I was in college, and I think like a lot of college students, I had a lot of ideas in my head, and I think a lot of people have different business ideas or ideas for ways that they could make money, and they don't actually put those things into action, and I think the biggest thing that stops people from actually realizing those ideas and making them into reality is the business development side of it. So when I was in college, the guy that I actually co-host my podcast with was my college wrestling training partner. And we were on the same team, and he actually had just won a business plan competition. Uh, and he said, Nick, I just won this business plan competition at school, and I want to take this thing from a plan and actually turn it into a real business. Let's do this thing. And 
what we were doing is we were, uh, we, we created a vending machine company. And I don't know if you've ever been at the airport and you've seen those vending machines that um, they're like the Best Buy vending machines. They sell headphones and, um, you know, chargers and things like that. We said, we're going to do that for workout supplements. So what we were doing is we were selling protein powder and pre-workout and vitamins from vending machines in gyms. And it was this great idea. And we created all these financial models of how we were going to make a lot of money. And then it was time to go find a gym that was going to let us put a vending machine into it. And that was my first introduction to sales because I had to start cold calling all of these gyms to try and convince them to put a vending machine in their lobby. And it was really hard. And Armand and I, my co-founder and I probably spent five months just um, tinkering around trying to get people to even meet with us. And I think that was my first realization that, wow, okay, this is hard work. But when you find somebody who actually says, yes, the payoff is really, really big. The first person that we had agreed to do it, I, I remember was, um, uh, this was a gym in Hollywood, California. And the owner of the gym was this older Armenian woman. I'm Armenian. And, and so we go into the gym and, uh, we kind of give her our pitch and, she tears into us. This is a horrible idea. It's a bad idea. It's never going to work. We won't make any money. But all right, what the heck? Let's try it. And so I don't know. I, I realized uh, maybe maybe there's something to this. So I guess that was kind of the, the reason that I realized that if, if sales were easy, everybody would do it. If starting a company were easy, everybody would do it. But it's not easy. And that's why it's worthwhile. That's beautifully said. And it reminds me of something that Gary Halbert said who to marketers, you know, will be like a superhero. He said, action beats meditation. And that thing where you said that you got a lot of no's, but every yes makes all the difference. It reminds me of the venture capitalist strategy where they will lose uh, money on nine deals, but one will pay for a hundred deals with its profits. And I believe uh, it's, I think they call it uh, a positive skew. Uh, skewed distribution, which means that you get a lot of no's, but the one is so valuable that it's worth it all. Before I even ask you the questions I wanted to ask, I would like to know something. I feel a lot of people hide hide behind marketing to avoid sales, actually, and they think it's a 100% replacement for any need to sell and that you should brand yourself and market and clients will come to you and all that. What is your opinion on this? Did you see it as something effective? And why do you still believe in sales in a world where a lot of people are moving into branding and marketing? So don't get me wrong, branding and marketing are important, but the very of essence of sales is that hopefully you you deeply and intimately understand the product, service, or offering that you have. And hopefully you have a sense of the types of people that you could help. All that sales is, is having as many conversations with the types of people and businesses you think you could help as possible. And one of two things is going to happen. If I think I can help a very specific um, customer persona and I talk with, with five of those people, one of two things happens. Either I get feedback from the marketplace that the type of person or business that I thought I could help doesn't really need or want that help. Well, now I'm getting a faster feedback loop and I can pivot whatever my business offering is. That's still a win, even though you don't have any customers. The, the other outcome is that you close some deals and you make some money. So, I mean, all sales is, is you talk to a lot of people who you think you could help and you take that feedback and you bring it back to the business and pivot. Marketing doesn't get you the same feedback. That's why sales is important. 
I love that. That's the perfect answer. And I believe that all the answers to your marketing problems come to those conversations you will have with real, actual people that you think could be clients or turn out to be ideal clients. It's not something we invent and about like creatively coming up with something, unless it's, of course, a way to get attention or to spin and uh, create your idea and expose it to the market in a new way. So now I would like to ask you about disqualification. What do you believe? That, why is it important? What happens when somebody doesn't disqualify? And what are the best practices for disqualification in sales? Yeah, I think a lot, there's sort of this common advice in the world of sales that, okay, sales is a numbers game. And that is true to the extent that sales is often a game of probabilities. And the way probability works is the more people that you talk to, the more deals that you should close. But that's not the whole story. There's another part of the story where the more people that you talk to that you can legitimately can help and legitimately want your help, even more business that you close. And so the limiting factor as a salesperson is the amount of time that you have in your day. And if you want to make more money as a salesperson, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can try and all right, I'm working 10 hours a day. I'm going to bump it up to 12 hours a day or 14 hours a day. I'm going to work more and fit more conversations into my calendar. Okay, there's a way you could make more money. The inverse to that is you're going to do a better job with qualification and you're going to stop having conversations with people who aren't good fits for you. Now, with that time that you've gained back, you can use that time to find more people who are good fits. The reason disqualification is so important is the more time you waste speaking with people you cannot help, that's time that you should be spending on people that you can help. So it's really important to, to get to the heart of the matter. And I think a lot of salespeople and founders struggle with this where it can be really awkward sometimes to say to someone, yeah, I, I don't think we're a good fit for you, but you have to do it. And I think one of the best ways to actually disqualify somebody is, is to change the intent of your conversations from closing a deal to getting the truth, getting to the heart of what this person needs. Because if you can do that, then you really know whether or not you're a good fit for them. And one of, I think, the most powerful ways to do this is to use the word why. The word why is a really magical word. Because it puts the prospect, it puts the other person on the defensive. And normally, we don't want to put somebody on the defensive. If I'm talking to a customer and they're explaining to me the current process for how they do something that maybe you solve for, and you say to them, well, why do you do it that way? They're going to get defensive. They're going to say, well, well, here's why we do it that way. Because you're challenging them. The word why challenges people. You often don't want to use it in sales conversations, except when you're trying to qualify. One of the best ways to do it, I'll, I'll do this a lot in my sale where I'm selling a legal ERP system. I'll talk to a customer and they're, they're telling me, yeah, we need to change. We need to be more efficient. We need to do this, this, or this. And my ears are hearing, oh, wow, these are all things we can help with. But I want to really make sure that they're committed to changing. And so I, I might say something along the lines of, yeah, but you're using this solution X, Y, and Z today. And it's really not a bad fit. And you told me that you're also talking to this competitor who's really well-known in the market. Why are you even chatting with us? Why did you even reach out to me? And that word why forces them to defend the reason that they're speaking with me. 
And I want them to defend that. I want them to tell me, well, Nick, it's actually because I saw this on your website and it looks like you're the only person who can do that. If they can give me a concrete, clear answer like that, well, now I know, all right, I I probably want to spend some time with this person. If they can't, it probably means I'm column fodder, which means they've got a spreadsheet and they've pretty much already made their decision of who they're going to go with. But their boss said, all right, Nick, you need to go look at two more vendors and and show me that you got two other quotes. I don't want to waste time with that. I don't want to spend time being column fodder. I want to spend time with people who are willing to defend the reason they're speaking with me. So that's one area around disqualification that I often advise people on. I love that. It reminds me of uh, Jim's camp. Um, you know, negotiation thing where the first thing he identifies is need. And he says, if there is, if you feel there is no need when you're asking questions, pack your bags and leave. It's not even yes. worth spending the time. And even before, you know, I want to ask you about call, calling best practices next. But before that, I'm fascinated with video and the potential it has. So I would like to ask you, how to use video in sales, but not in prospecting. I know you have some ideas about that. Could you please share them with us? Yeah, I definitely can. I think a lot of salespeople try to use video for prospecting because they're afraid of making cold calls. And sending a bunch of videos for prospecting, yeah, you know, it's better than blasting out a bunch of spam emails, but I still think the most effective way to, 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 to get in touch with new customers is by picking the, up the phone and making calls. And more and more salespeople are finding excuses to not do that. And I think video is just another excuse uh, sometimes for, for not, not picking up the phone and calling. That said, I do think video is super powerful when you actually get engaged in a sales process. I'm a huge fan of Vidyard. I, I use Vidyard almost every single day. And one of the ways that I'll use video not in prospecting is when I get into the proposal side of the conversation where I'm working with a customer and I'm putting together a quote and it's time to go over the quote with the customer. Well, I work in a sale that has five or six different decision makers. And in a perfect world, I'd get all six of those decision makers on the phone with me and we'd go over the quote together. But I don't live in a perfect world and nobody does. And it's it's often impractical to have six separate conversations to go over the quote with each and every person. So what I'll do is I'll go over the quote with my main buyer. And when I get on that call, what I'll say to them is, hey, when we get off of this thing, I'm actually going to put together a five or six minute video of me going over this proposal and I'll send it to you so that you can share it with the other people who are making this evaluation. And that way you don't have to re-explain yourself every single time. I'm also doing the work for the buyer there, which is always a good thing to do as a salesperson. So what I'll do is I finish the proposal call and then I just boot up Vidyard and I record myself going through that proposal. And then when I send it to the customer, I just send them the video. And what they then do is they forward it to the other people. They say, hey, here's the quote that I got from Nick. And I'm actually able to insert my voice into every single person that I'm speaking with um, at the the prospect's company. And so it helps you multi-thread, actually. Um, That's that's one of the biggest ways that I'll use video. I even use it to collaborate internally. So I was working with my, my sales operations guy earlier this week, and we had an issue in Salesforce, and we were looking at like changing the way a field was mapped to another field. And I was trying to explain it over our, our, um, our Slack messaging, and it just wasn't working, and he wasn't available for a call. So all I did was I, 
I actually just booted up Vidyard again and I filmed my Salesforce instance of me going through this thing and I sent him that video. And it probably saved us 15 minutes of back and forth and back and forth. And so I think video is important. You got to use it, but stop looking at the standard use cases. Figure out, especially when we're working virtually, where are there opportunities when I would want to be sitting next to somebody and having them see my screen that I can use video to, to, to supplement? Great. That's absolutely, you know, it triggered so many ideas in my brain. Can you speak about cold calling? Why do you believe it's a superior solution? Is it really much more effective than not, you know, blasting um, cold emails, but a bit of personalization in the cold emails and all that? And what are the best practices in cold calling? So let's talk about cold calling. Telemarketing doesn't work. Cold calling does. There's a big difference. When you cold call someone who's not expecting your call, they're not just sitting there looking at the phone. They've got a job to do. And so when they pick up that phone and someone who's a stranger calls, a couple things that they want to immediately know. Who is this person? Where are they calling from? Why are they calling me? And how long is this thing going to take? Because I have a job I'm trying to do. And you have to immediately address three of those four items to have an effective cold call. So when you open a cold call, here is exactly what comes out of your mouth. Hey, Mark, this is Nick with XYZ Company. I know you didn't expect me to call you this afternoon. Do you mind if I take one minute? I'll tell you why I'm calling, and then you can let me know if it makes sense for us to speak. Here's what I've done. Up front, immediately, I said my name and my company. I'm a professional. I'm not hiding those things. And then what I say is, I'm acknowledging, I know you didn't expect me to call you. Do you mind if I take one minute? I'm asking permission and I'm putting a time constraint. I'm not just going to blab at them for six and a half minutes about why my product and company is, is a market leader. I say, do you mind if I take one minute? I'll tell you why I'm calling. And then you, again, I'm asking permission and I'm putting them in control. You can let me know if it makes sense for us to speak. Because if you think about it, you're cold calling someone, you're stealing away their control, their autonomy, and people don't like that. And so you're giving it back by saying, hey, I know I'm an interruption here. I'm going to let you make the decision about whether or not we talk. And I'll respect that. So then the cool thing is when you say, I, you know, um, do you mind if I take one minute? I'll tell you why I'm calling and you can let me know if it makes sense for us to speak is that the curiosity factor there of like, why did this guy call me? I want to know now. Like, what is this about? They'll say, all right, like, wait, what? Yeah, why? Well, boom, there's a perfect opportunity for me to explain why I called. Now, this is where the, the junior sales rep is going to start talking about how their company is the leading provider of X, Y, or Z. And that's not what you want to do. I think too many salespeople have been taught that they need to present what's called a value proposition when actually they should be presenting what's called a problem proposition. Instead of saying why you're great, you should be saying, hey, here's a problem that I think you might have that we can probably solve. So you might say something like this. Let's say you're calling the CFO of a law firm and you know most law firms struggle with um, online electronic billing. You might say something like, you know, they say, all right, fine, Nick, go ahead. You've got one minute. What I respond with is I say, thanks, because gosh, how often does somebody get thanked when they accept a cold call? It's kind of a pattern interrupt in a sense. I say, thanks. Well, the reason I called you, again, you're putting that reason piece there. You're, you know, you're really making it, um, you're, you're, when you say the reason I called you, it like it refocuses their attention on what you're about to say. 
The reason I called you is I understand that you serve as the CFO of this company, and I've spoken with a number of other CFOs who, and here's where you need to insert a word that lends itself to pain. So you need to say something like who are stressed or who are anxious or who are frustrated or who are upset or who are scrambling. So you might say, I've spoken with a number of CFOs who are frustrated that they're spending a lot of time manually adjusting their electronic bills to meet certain online formats, and they're not getting paid as quickly as they'd like to on those bills. So you're just basically saying a a pain statement that you're able to help address. And then what you say once you've said that pain statement is you say, I'm calling you about something that makes that easier. I'm wondering if you'd be opposed to learning more about this when I'm not cold calling you out of the blue. That's it. I'm not telling them how I can solve the problem at all. All I'm doing is I'm putting a feeler out there. I've spoken with other people in your role who are experiencing X problem, and I'm calling you about something that makes that problem easier. Do you have that problem? And would you be against learning more about how we might be able to help solve that thing? You'll get a response every time. And if that problem doesn't exist for them, they say, no, we're all set. Great. Call them again in three months, and if hopefully you solve more than one problem in your business, mention a different problem that you can solve for. And that's a good way if you have a shorter account list. So I think telemarketing, it doesn't work. And I think it's why a lot of people are moving towards email and sending a bunch of videos to potential customers. But good professional cold calling is well and alive. I love that. I love the idea of the problem proposition instead of the value proposition. And the fact that you always you know, give them the opportunity to say no, which shows if there is a pain, they will invest that extra step each time, which also qualifies indirectly in a way. And I was thinking about something. I consider you to be a real thought leader in the the domain in sales and somebody who studied deeply. One of the things that it's a fictional character, but he's saying a Jordan Belfort quote, it's Bobby Axelrod, where he says, uh, if I eliminate all the reasons that the prospect will say no, the only thing that is left is yes. Do you believe in this? And what's your opinion on closing or your best practices on how to close once you established a need and the pain and you clarified it in the minds of a prospect? I think people overemphasize the importance of closing. I think, I mean, I only ever do a soft close. When I'm on a call with a customer, you know, I'm in a pretty complex sale where I'll have 12 meetings over the course of a year with a customer. Um, Usually I'm saying something like, hey, usually these meetings go, you know, when you're doing your upfront contract in the beginning of the meeting, you might say something like, hey, look, you know, we're, we're here to do a 30 minute demonstration of the product. And usually these 30 minute demos go one of two ways. Either you hate what you see and you don't think this thing's a good fit. And if that's the case, just tell me. You won't hurt my feelings. We'll go our separate ways. No harm, no foul. The other alternative is you think, okay, this is something that we probably do need to do some more due diligence on and and probably need to explore. And usually the next step from here is X. Would it make sense for us to stop about 10 minutes early uh, to make a decision about whether or not we move to that next step? The customer will always say yes to that. Or they'll say, actually, that's not the next step. We need to do this instead. Great. Now I have more insight into their buying process. But I mean, it's even as simple as, you know, you get on a meeting to review the contract and you might say, okay, well, you know, the goal here is we're going to go over the contract terms together. And usually these meetings go one of two ways. Either you see something in the contract that's not going to work for you. And we decide, all right, probably isn't going to work together. Or 
uh, we decided to proceed, which the next step would be signing the contract, and I'd introduce you to the onboarding team. Would it make sense for us to, at the end of this, decide whether or not we're gonna, you're going to sign the contract and I'm going to make that intro or not? You don't have to have these like hard closes where it's like, would you like the red car or the blue car? Uh, and you don't have, ever have to force a customer to like make a decision. I think you can ask sometimes, like, you know, if you're not comfortable with that upfront contract style, you might just ask a customer and you can use what I call, um, this is called the humbling disclaimer, which I actually think came from the book Question-Based Selling. But you might say something like, hey, I feel kind of awkward asking you like asking you this, but I know we've been we've been we've done a couple meetings the past couple weeks. Are you planning on moving forward with us or is there something else going on here? I, I just feel kind of awkward. Like you can say that you're confused or you don't, you know, you I love saying I feel awkward. I love being self-deprecating, but you can ask also. So no, I don't think you need a bunch of fancy closing techniques. I don't think you need to like hammer down every objection and cut them all out and like use use Jedi mind tricks with the customer. I think you can one just upfront ask, Mark, are you going to sign the contract? Or you can use the, hey, typically language. So that's kind of my stance on it. I love it. It reminds me of in copywriting, it's called the fork in the road close, which is what you said, you know, you can today either choose to continue your life as it was or choose to step into this opportunity to a better life through this solution. And that's absolutely wonderful. Nick, where can people find more about you, learn more from you, get to know you, your social media, your podcast? Where can they find more? The best place to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn. You can spell my name. Uh, the first name is easy. It's Nick, N-I-C-K. Last name's a little trickier. It's C-E-G-E-L-S-K-I. I also run a podcast, 30 Minutes to President's Club. You can hear me ramble about sales on that also. Great. I will put all the links in the description to this podcast. It was very, very valuable. I wish the listener a good day and a day full of uh, sales opportunities to help people, actually. And Nick, good day to you. Hey, thanks for having me on. This was a blast. Mm -hmm.